Shall we begin? Let's begin now. This is Maya Moore, and you're listening to Dishin' and Swishin'. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel welcoming you to the first roundtable Dishin' and Swishin' we've had in a while. And I want to thank LaChina Robinson for coming up with the idea you know, the regular season has ended, and this year, more than any other year I can remember, there's a lot of discussion on postseason awards and who qualifies for what and who should be getting which awards. So I'm surrounded by the best that ESPN has to offer right now at this roundtable. I've got LaChina, Rebecca Lobo, Michelle Vopel. I am very fortunate to have this great group of journalistic, integrity-based voters and commentators so let's get it right start, started. Michelle, you have put together an article that was saying why Nek Gumake should be the MVP in the league. Can you talk a little bit about why you think Neka should be the MVP? Yeah, I, I basically went with the idea that when you're talking about most valuable player, and I've gone back and forth in my career and what, the, the, what that means, but what I – think it means is who is the most valuable person no matter what team you would put her on. Some people might say Tina Charles carries more of a load um, for New York than NECA does for Los Angeles. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I think that's hard to define. But when you look at who provides the most value, I started really looking at advanced value stats and was you know, lucky enough that uh, a guy like Kevin Pelton, who you know has – done a lot of work in advanced stats in both the uh, NBA and the WNBA. We traded emails and talked a lot, and, and I was able to really sort of break it down um, to looking at how efficient NECA is. And ultimately, that's what I made my vote on. I feel like she's had one of the most efficient seasons in WNBA history, and I can't possibly see the Sparks you know, being in the position they are right now um, without that sort of efficiency. Now, Rebecca, we heard on the air yesterday that you also thought Necco was the most valuable player in the league. Yeah, much for the same reason. Uh, you know, it, it's hard because Tina's having such an amazing year, you know, leading the league in scoring and in rebounding. Um, but to me, what separated Necco was a couple things. One is the efficiency, um, especially since she's not getting, you know, that field goal percentage like Tamika Raymond did just by posting up on the block and scoring inside. She's shooting so well from the perimeter. Um, but also she is uh, a fierce defensive player as well. She's not just having the impact she's having on the offensive end, but she's doing it defensively. I think she's an underrated passer. Uh, when she's on the floor, she just makes uh, everyone else better. Plus you add the energy level that she brings. Um, to me, she's had just the, the most spectacular year. And, uh, you know, again, it's tough because Tina has done so much for New York, but uh, NECA with just how efficient she has separated herself. China, you know, I haven't heard what you thought on the subject. NECA or Tina or somebody else? Yeah, um, I would have to agree with Rebecca and Michelle for the very same reasons, really. I was Tina right up until the Olympic break, to be honest with you. Actually, we had a game – it was L.A. at Indiana, and I said on that broadcast that, that Tina was my MVP. Coming back, I had a little bit of a change of heart, and it was, there were a few things 
I think, you know, I try to start with stats when it comes to MVP. Um, but then once you get past statistics, obviously defense, like Rebecca mentioned, there's advanced stats like, like Michelle mentioned. But I think, you know, the historical aspect of what she is doing, um, we may never see again, you know. And so when you think about a player's value in, in one single year and what she's done, she's brought value to the league as well because she has, you know, just set this standard. But in addition to the defense, you know, seeing her leadership, I mean, that there's some dynamic personalities on that L.A. Sparks team. You know, there's Candace and, you know, Christy Tolliver and some players that we've seen. This can be, you know, a little difficult to unite uh, in the past, and she has been their unity. You know, she's been their voice. She's been the extension of the coach and all the above. I would say the last point for me I think that separated her from Tina was I think I looked at the, the stats post-Olympic break for Tina, and she's shooting around 38 39%, um, you know, which she takes a lot of shots, and she's carrying a lot of load, and they've had injuries and things like that. So um, she's had to do a lot in under, you know, some t- difficult circumstances. So I think that drop for me, considering that that's where NECA has excelled, sealed the deal. You know, the interesting stat that I saw was that NECA has taken less shots than Tina's missed over the course of the season to get to the to, to almost the same amount of points and the you know, same result. The one thing I would say, though, is, you know, I'll play the contrarian here since you guys are all agreeing. You know, where would New York be without Tina Charles? I mean, you look at L.A., and, and NECA has been a difference maker, but there is certainly top to bottom on that roster more talent than there is on the New York Liberty. So I'll just throw this out to anybody that wants to answer. You know, how is how should that impact the most valuable player? The fact that she does have that extra group of players, and you know that that second best player on the Liberty this year was probably Sugar Rogers. But this is Michelle, and part of this is to me is that if you call it most valuable player versus most outstanding player, I think that's where people sometimes get. I don't want to say tripped up, but you start thinking about that. And I'm not sure that that's really what the award is. And, and Rebecca and, and uh, LaChina can certainly weigh on, in on this. But, but really what we're voting for, I think, even though it's MVP, is the same thing we vote for in the College Final Four, which is most outstanding. And valuable to me, again, the way I look at it is, you know, if, if NECA – if NECA wasn't so efficient, if, you know, if her efficiency was the same as Tina's, then, you know, probably <sighs> Tina would win the award. But saying that Tina was, quote-unquote, more valuable to New York um, than NECA was to L.A., I think those are that is a harder, you know, thing to try to, to parse through, whereas looking at their stats, you know, just individually, if you will, and how what kind of value they have no matter – you know, where you would really place them. I mean, I guess you'd say if somebody was on a completely terrible team, it would be hard for them to be MVP. But um, that's how I look at that is is that you're, you're really measuring how outstanding somebody is performing. And that is the, that's what I look at in terms of value. I agree Very with good. you, David. Actually, if I could just say quickly, uh, that was the reason why Tina was my MVP early on in the season. You know, I felt like she didn't have as much help as as NECA. But, you know, I started to think about things, especially with the Olympics, and it's actually the men's team that I that I thought about in this vein and that they have had teams that have had all the talent that the NBA has to offer and still not won. You know what I mean? And I would pinpoint mm-hmm. Coach K as the reason for their now success 
with the talent. I would pinpoint NECA as the reason why LA's had talent hasn't been good, but they are actually excelling this season. No, and I think that, you have to take into pr- consideration. You have to take into consideration when you're looking at if you're looking at that as your argument um, in terms of most valuable versus most outstanding. If NECA's on the Liberty and Tina's not, she's going to have a lot more shots than she did with LA. If Tina's playing with the talent that that NECA's surrounded by in LA, she would not have as, as many opportunities. So I I, I think that's why uh, in most people in most voters' minds, when it comes down to it, it becomes most outstanding. And personally, I think that NECA is the most valuable player as well. But I do think that, you know, now there's been a couple of interesting comments in there that I want to use as a segue to talk about the coaches for a second before we get back to the players. You know, the Chinese just talked about Coach K and what he did and, you know, talking about some of the difficult pieces to put together on the Sparks before. So, you know, this is really a, a year where the Olympic break really does come into play here because, there's no better place to look at coach of the year than before the break and after the break. It makes things very difficult to choose who should get these awards, in my opinion, because for the first half, in my opinion, coach of the year was Brian Agler, no questions asked. But then the Sparks hit some rough spots, and then that opens up the whole discussion as to who should be the coach of the year. Rebecca, who do you think should be the coach of the year? Well, first of all, I wish we could, this particular award, we could wait until after the playoffs, because Last year, Bill Lambeer, without question, Coach of the Year, got my vote. Well, if we were able to wait until after the playoffs, Stephanie White, without question, would have been everybody's Coach of the Year for guiding that team to the WNBA Finals. So right now, Cheryl Reed is my Coach of the Year. And and before the Olympic break, it probably would have been Brian Agler. But we've seen that she has been able to keep that group of players um, to play consistently well since the break, she has managed them so well in terms of their minutes, managing their minutes before the break, especially those four Olympians since the break, and even in these last games that have no impact on their playoff positioning, the you know how she would rest one starter at a time, and they're still able to win most of their games. I think she's just done a great job at keeping them where they need to be. That being said, if you know, if we were able to hold this particular vote until after the playoffs, what if Seattle ended up in the finals? You would say, all right, Jenny Busick should deserve some consideration <laughs> for Coach of the Year. So this is one award uh, that I really wish um, they would let let hold off. And last year was the perfect example of that. I think Steph White would have run away with it if uh, if we had voted on it after the uh, the playoffs. Yeah, Jenny, you can raise arguments just on the regular season with the way that they came charging in the second half, too. Uh, yeah, China. Who do you th- what do you think about the coach of the year? Uh, well, first of all, I would probably have to disagree with Rebecca in regards to when we vote for coach of the year, only because, especially with the new format now, like you could end up if you were, you know, say you were under consideration and you were, your team was a fourth seed, you could end up losing in one game. Now, should that really wipe out everything you've done in 34 games? I don't think so. Um, so especially with the new format, I don't know if I would say that coach of the year should be something that we do after the playoffs, but I actually had a change of heart where I thought it was Brian Agler. Well, I, I would have voted for Brian Agler before the Olympics, and now it's Cheryl Reeve. And it's in conversation, you know, obviously along the way. I've probably talked to Michelle about it, maybe a couple other people, but um, just to get their take. But I like to get different people's take. That's why I wanted to have this roundtable. But long story short, you know, I think 
L.A. did hit some rough spots. I mean, it's one-third of the season after the Olympic break, and they did not look like a great team. The other thing was what I discussed about NECA. I started to see NECA's value as a bigger reason why L.A. was having success. Not to say she's coaching the team by any means, but I started to see her leadership as probably what this team needed this year versus last season. Um, Obviously, having the big jump in improvement, I think it had a lot to do with her. Um, But overall, you know, I just think Cheryl Reeves has done a fantastic job. I mean, come on, they're blowing teams out. The way they're winning, and like Rebecca said, even with the injuries, even with resting players, they're by far the best team. The way she's now got Sylvia Fowles. I mean, she has one of the best players in the history of this league, really potential-wise, playing better than we've ever seen her. No one's been able to get this out of Sylvia. And just how she gets the best out of every player and how she balances the depth and keeps everyone selfless, it's it's really not easy to do what she's done and to have a franchise a record and wins. Uh, she's coach of the year, in my opinion. So, uh, it's three for three on Cheryl Reeve for all the reasons that uh, that are mentioned before. And I think of this sort of like the same situation we have sometimes with Gina Oriama. Uh, people will say, "Well, Cheryl Reeve's supposed to win, right? She's got all these Olympians and she's got all the talent." But as as mentioned uh, on this roundtable, talent doesn't always. You know, if, if talent alone, you know, did it, we, we wouldn't need coaches, right? So the fact that she is able to keep this team hungry, keep them focused, you mentioned how much, you know, that Sylvia Fowles is playing so well. The other player I think it's not, not lost, because we talk about her a lot, but, you know, Maya Moore, she can be MVP every year. And she keeps improving her game. And we see her, I think, have, she's become a better playmaker and a better defender. So the things that Gino does, which is to get great players to play great together, we're seeing that with Cheryl. And I think that, especially in a year like this, um, needs to be rewarded. Well, so far we've agreed on everything. This is supposed to be this hot-tempered discussion here. And and everybody's on the same pages here. So let's go to all the, the all WNBA teams. Now, we've seen with ESPNW Michelle's blatant disregard for the rules in putting Elena Deladon as a guard. But uh, i, I got to admit, it's a little tough to come up with a regular all-WNBA team if you're really going to go with positions. So, Michelle, I'll let you defend that first. Well, first of all, first off, I feel like, hey, it's my team. <laughs> I don't have to use these, the, the WNBA rules for my team, right? Um, second, I think this whole idea of positions is – it's ludicrous. To me, it needs to just be a team that you could see on the floor together. And the team that I had as my first team is a team you could see on the floor together. I know that Deladon, you know, she's listed as a guard forward, has played forward all season, but she can play guard. You could have a, a first team like I had of Sue Bird, Elena Deladon, Maya Moore, uh, Tina Charles, and Neko Gumwake. That is a team you could put out on the floor. And you could also bring up the fact that, yeah, Neko Gumwake is a forward, but she does guard fives at times. And um, that's why I think the team should be a team that you could legitimately put out on the floor. You wouldn't put five-point guards this first team. I understand that. But having three post players, a, a hybrid, which I think Deladon is, and then a pure point guard, I I think that's perfectly fine. Now, people may think, hey, I'm I'm bending the rules, but I think the rules are dumb. <laughs> uh, well, you know, 
you got two other posts on here with you, so they're going to certainly think that there should be four posts and one point guard, and that's it. So, Rebecca, what, what do you think? So much the now. That's the whole point. I mean, posts you know, do so much. I, 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 um, I, I have to say, the last, I've been able to vote for this for a lot of years. I don't know how many it is, and I disregard the positions. I just put the five players I feel like um, deserve to be on the first team, and I just, you know, and I've never had my ballot sent back. Anyone saying, you know, Tina Charles was a four this year, not a five, or or anything like that. I think the most important thing is that players who deserve it get their due as first team or second team. And um, so I've never really paid attention to the position part. And I, my, my first team is actually the same as Michelle's. My second team is a little bit different, but my first team is the same as Michelle's. Well, what, let's, let, let's talk about the second team, too, then, while, while you're talking. Do you mind sharing who you put on the second team? My second team, I have Candace Parker and Brianna Stewart as my forwards, Fowles as my center, and my guards are Angel McCautry and Diana Tarasic. Very good. Well, let's hear what China has to say, and then let's kick around some of those names. China, what are your thoughts on the whole position thing and what we should, how people should be named and who deserve who's on your first team? Yeah, I'm anti-position as well. You know, my philosophy is I'm putting the best five players on the first team. Do I have to be able to see them on the floor together? No, because the best five players in the league, in my opinion, should be on first team. Um, you know, my first team was – Let's see, Deladon, Tina, Neca, Maya, and Angel. Um, so mine was a little bit different. The reason why I didn't have Sue Bird on my first team, Sue Bird was on my second team, was not that Sue Bird didn't deserve to be on first team. I thought those five deserved it more, if that makes sense. Um, I think Seattle has been outstanding, and more than any year, the the winning, the winning and losing kind of everyone was the same across the board by the time the season was over. You know, when you think about, like, Angel, for example, if that's someone you were considering not putting on, or um, Deladon, you know, the only ones that I think were just no-brainers were probably Tina and uh, and Neca and maybe Maya. So long story short, I think the difference for me was that I feel like Angel, I think she had a fantastic year. You know, when you look at that team, She's the only number one draft pick um, on the entire team. She's playing with two players, Elizabeth Williams and Lasia Clarendon, who are both in the running for most improved. But, you know, I think when you look at improvement, like we would Jewel Lloyd for Sue, et cetera, like you have to look at, you know, wh- where that's coming from. And, you know, Angel is the foundation of that team. Um, you know, Tiffany was a second-round draft pick. You know, there's not a lot around that team. And for the most part, Atlanta was in the fourth position most of the year, not just what they did on the back end of the Olympics. I mean, that was 10 games, but there are 34 games in the season. So I just really felt like, you know, she deserved to be there. And while I'm on that point, I think Angel is someone who, if we look back in the history of the league, and this is not, you know, for anyone on this call, but what I find often happens with her because I've had these conversations is that because people don't necessarily like Angel, they don't vote for her. And I think we got to get away from that. You know, I'm not saying she's the most likable player in the world. I know she comes across as a bad teammate sometimes, which I think she's actually growing. But I think when people have even the slightest opportunity to replace her on first team, they do that. 
um, you know, regardless of who it is, regardless of where the team finished. Like, Seattle finished seventh, you know, like, and they're going to have someone on first team and probably someone on second team as well. So, you know, that was my only difference from everyone else. But, you know, I and I'm as hard as Angel on anyone, and, but that was probably the biggest difference that I'll probably see from my ballot and most other people's ballots. I'm in agreement with you, and actually, I actually, on my, you know, I think that Deladonna's second team. I actually went and thought that Tina, Maya, Necker as a front court, and Angel and Subird were, is my first team. You know, it, it get, to me, you get, you know, you get Deladon, Stewie, you know, and Parker right there, but then you got Fowles, Tarasi, Christy Tolliver, like Michelle pointed out, Jewel Lloyd, Emma Mieseman, there's a lot of people that you could could have picked and raised arguments for for the second team, I think, uh, this year. So, you know, let, let's continue moving on down since we're running out running out of time fast here. Uh, one of the fun ones, Defensive Player of the Year. There's been some great discussion between Sylvia Fowles, Brianna Stewart, Angel McCautry, NECA. So, uh, Michelle, who's your Defensive Player of the Year? I went with Sylvia Fowles. I just feel like uh, you can make the argument statistically for her. You can make the eye test argument for her because I just think she's played some ferocious defense in a really good way, Um, you know, for a team that, um, for you know, I think they needed that. They needed that, you know, the the Lynx needed that if they needed anything as good as they are to to really shore up their interior defense and – that said, I have a feeling for sure that Brianna Stewart's going to win <laughs> a few of these Defensive Player of the Year awards because uh, one thing Sue Bird mentioned is you knew Brianna Stewart was going to translate very well to the pros, but she said literally from you know day one of workouts she could see that Brianna was going to be just a premier defensive player. So I think um, you know she's definitely in that conversation as the other ones you mentioned. But it, that picking fouls wasn't hard. For me, I, I thought she was um, she was a pretty clear choice. Rebecca, um, I ended up going with Sylvia as well. I, um, you know, Brianna, and it came down for me to to Neca, Brianna, and Stewie. Um, I'm sorry, Neca Files and Stewie. And uh, you know, one with Neca, she just can is asked to guard so many different positions. Where you know, whether it's on switches and she's guarding a guard or you know, when they come down and she's, you know, trying to front Brittany Griner. Um, what she did was impressive. But it ended up for me being, and LaChina was the one who kind of um, made this point to me uh, a week or so ago, was, you know, uh, Minnesota's defense is so good, and, and she's the anchor of it. And it, it, Cheryl Reed runs a lot of different schemes defensively when um, when it's on-ball screens or that sort of thing. And Sylvia's really learned exactly where she needs to be. And it's not just blocking shots, and it's not always just being in help position um, inside. But it is being asked to step out and, and still be able to run the schemes and handle them, whether it's switches or the different things they're doing defensively. And and she's uh, she's been the anchor, and she's done it really well for the best defensive team in the WNBA. And um, because of where her team ranks defensively, it gave her the edge to me over Stewie. Vagina? Yep, you can keep it rolling, David, for the purpose of time. <laughs> I'm in agreement. Okay. All right, most improved player. Somebody's got to disagree with somebody here, Vagina. Since they all stole the thunder on the last one, quickly, who do you like and why? <laughs> uh, most improved, I gave to Elizabeth Williams. And now I know I'm going to really look like a homer. But 
because <laughs> I just made that whole argument for Angel. But this was an Olympic. This was excuse me. This was a team that I picked last. I mean, I picked them to finish to finish last, and obviously Michael Cooper didn't like me very much. For probably still doesn't like me, but um, you know, I just feel like Elizabeth. The thing that got it for me, I'll be quick. This, the, what sealed the deal was that, she, in my book, she was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, she was in the top five. So when you look at your impact being one of the best in the league in the category like that, um, you know, after a, a subpar first year, I just felt like her impact in Atlanta for a team that likes to gamble defensively. Sancho Little has been either hurt or gone. She's usually the person they defend, they depend on. And, again, to be in that fourth position for a majority of the season, she was a big part of that. It's amazing to me that somebody who's had the health issues that she's had throughout her college career and the first year in the WNBA to lead the league in minutes per game. She played 37 yeah. minutes per game. She and Stewart tied for the most minutes. So that was pretty amazing. I also thought Elizabeth Williams, even though I don't normally go for second-year players, for most improved. Uh, Rebecca? Frankly, to be honest, I thought this was uh, one of the biggest no-brainers of all the votes. I mean, you look at all the numbers, and a lot of people have improved. Um, But the numbers on on Elizabeth Williams are ridiculous. From three points a game a season ago to 11 this year, you talk about the minutes, um, you know, to to be tied for for first in minutes per game. Her production, um, to me, it was this one was very clear, just the the jump she made from a year ago to now. And Michelle? The Big E. I'm sorry, David. I know you want controversy, but I, everything that I agreed with. And I, I always like when this award, and there's nothing about the criteria of this award that says, hey, this is an award you have to say, oh, wow, this is awesome, because I didn't expect it. But I like it when it can be that. And I think that's what it was with Elizabeth for the reasons mentioned. She has been hurt. We weren't sure what kind of season she would have, and she's been just terrific. And um, that's why I, I like you know, picking her for this award. Plus, I think she just flat out deserved it. And, of course, just to throw out some other names just for people, you know, the consideration, you know, from Atlanta itself, you can look at Leisha Clarendon. You can also look at Tiffany Hayes. You know, Taylor Hill, Sugar Rogers, Jasmine Thomas, all you can raise arguments on all of them. But I agree, Elizabeth Williams is the choice. Now, just last question, since we're, we're trying to cut this down in time. Look, rookie of the year, everybody knows, is Stewie. Uh, all rookie team. You got Stewie is a lock, Jefferson is a lock. Then you got, I assume everybody agrees also on Imani Boyette. Then I'm going to ask you to pick. You got Powers. You got Tiffany Mitchell who had the great first half. You got Bria Holmes that had the great second half. You had John Quell Jones who came on and after the trade in July and played great. So fill, finish the rookie team for me. Michelle, why don't you go first? I went with Powers and Mitchell, but it was it was tough between going between Mitchell and Holmes. Powers to me was a the, the first four were pretty easy. I thought obviously the first three were very easy. Uh, then Powers was I thought a pretty pretty clear choice, and uh, then I, I ended up going with Mitchell, but I could totally see somebody going with Holmes. Rebecca. I went with Powers and Holmes, and the reason I went with Holmes over Mitchell was because I think it's harder to excel in the latter part of your rookie year than it is early, early when players are getting familiar with you and, and you can 
you know, they don't know what your favorite move is, that sort of thing. And uh, and so for Holmes to do it in the latter part didn't really hit the same wall that Mitchell hit. Um, made me give it to her over Tiffany. So we know you're just a Connecticut homer, that's all. And, you know, you're <laughs> okay. yeah, a local girl, that's right. <laughs> I'm a Western spe- homer. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of homers, LaChina? <laughs> uh, right. Here, insert me. Um, I'm pretty sure that I went with Mitchell and I'm trying to look right now. Who was the other one? The same two Michelle had, Mitchell and Aerial Powers. Powers. Yeah, Powers Powers and Mitchell. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those were mine. Oh, Michelle Powers and Mitchell. Okay. All right, last question so I can let you all go. We we actually have a couple games this week, so tell me, who's going to win the first first round games in the playoffs? Legina, who's going to win those first games? Who is going to win the first game? Um, Well, obviously, Atlanta has some situations going on. You know, it depends on if Tiffany Hayes plays because she picked up her seventh technical and then also Sancho Little's health. Um, if they do not have Sancho, it's going to be really hard to defend Brianna Stewart. If they don't have Tiffany Hayes, it's going to be Seattle for sure. So I would say if Sancho and Tiffany play, I take Atlanta at home. If one or neither of them play, definitely Seattle. And then I'm going with Indiana in the other game. Catching does not lose at home. <laughs> um I'm going to go with Seattle in the first game. Uh, again, you know, we'll have to wait till tomorrow to find out what the situation is with Tiffany Hayes. But um, the reason I'm going to go with Seattle is because of Sue Bird. And um, I think a point, point guard with her experience and her will to win um, and, and I think how she has kind of led those young guys since the Olympic break, um, I'm going to give the edge to Seattle. And then I'm going to go with Phoenix. I think, you know, as talented as they are, they have experience winning in this situation. I know they haven't had a great season, but there's no reason to be bored anymore for that collection of talent, and, and uh, I think they're going to pull off the upset. Michelle? I'll go with Seattle. I just love the way they're playing right now, and uh, I, I think they're clicking really well. I like the way that Jewel Lloyd and, and Stewie have, have played well together, and Sue Bird's been, she's been fantastic this season, and you've got to give her a lot of credit um, for for how she's played, and I'm sure she heard people chirping the last few years about how she was getting over the hill, and this whole season has been a big like, yeah, shut up everybody, in that nice way that Sue Bird might say, but she's right, shut up everybody, she's had a great season, and it's nice to see for her. Um, I'm going with Indiana for the same reason as LaChina, maybe it's sentiment, um, but I just I, I think uh, that that the, the fever will not let catch lose that game at home. And I'm also just not convinced that that Phoenix can get it together when they need to get it together. You know, it's amazing. Since you mentioned it, Sue Bird finishes first in the league in assists going away at 5.8. But the amazing stat number for Bird that I saw was 44.4% for three. Second, second place, and this was the person that everybody didn't know if she could shoot anymore. You know, and, and in there, she's second in the league in three-point shooting percentage. Amazing, amazing year for her. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree. I think that Seattle is gonna win that game, although I think it's gonna be very, very close, and I think that Bird pulls it out at the end, as she's been known to. And uh, I just think Phoenix can't play defense when they, when they want to, they can't do it. They just can't pull it together. I'm gonna have to go with Indiana in a close game too. But in the meantime, 
We have made it to just about a half hour, like I promised. So I'm going to say thank you very, very much to you wonderful people for taking time on a weeknight to do this. And I hope you all enjoy the playoffs. And thank you again for your time. Thanks, Thanks for doing this day. We appreciate it.